Well, God bless you. God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship. Coming to you with the second installment of our weekly program, The Truth of the Gospel, The Truth of the Gospel. We're starting an hour later today because of daylight savings time. And so um, we're going to continue our discussion in First John, walking with Jesus through First John, walking with Jesus through First John. We're going to pick up at chapter two. We talked about chapter one on Friday evening, the 6th of March. So if you would like to hear that message, uh, go back to my Facebook page. Go back to um, March 6th, March 6th, Friday night, March 6th. Today we're going to talk about chapter two. First John has five chapters. So we're going to talk about not the whole chapter. We're going to talk about the first about 10 verses of chapter two. And then we'll pick up Lord willing. We'll pick up there in like the 11th, 12th chapters. Uh, we're going to pick up. We're going to go to about verse 10 of chapter two of first John today. And then Lord willing Friday evening, which would be the 13th of March, we'll pick up around verse 11, verse 12 of chapter 2 of 1 John. It's got like 28 verses, so I don't want to try to cover the whole chapter today. <clears throat> I covered the first chapter of 1 John this past Friday because it only had about 10 or 12 verses. But the second chapter is about twice as long, so I'm not going to try to cover that in one lesson. All right, so chapter 2. 1 John, remember I said 1 John was written around 90, oh, 95, somewhere around there, A.D., around the same time as the book of the Revelation, the gospel according to St. John. The St. John wrote five books in the New Testament. The gospel, the fourth gospel, the gospel according to St. John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, that's four books, and then the Revelation, the Apocalypse. So he wrote four, five books of the New Testament. And so we're in the uh, first epistle of John, written around, I've seen dates as early as 80 AD. There are some who go back before that to 70 AD. I don't believe it was written that early. I believe it was written based on the scholarly information that I've obtained. I believe it was written closer to 88, 90 AD which would be about 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Remember, Jesus, our Lord, was crucified, if I'm not mistaken. He was crucified in 30, 29 to 30 A.D. And so then if you add another 60 years to that, to his crucifixion and resurrection, you come up with 90 A.D. Toward the end of the first century, John wrote the Revelation under Emperor, Roman Emperor Domitian, around 95 A.D., according to Mark Hitchcock and some other scholars whose writings I highly believe in. They're solid biblical scholars. And so 1 John would have been written around 88, 90, 95 A.D. I've seen a date as late as 100 A.D. as far as John's authorship. He died around that same time. He was the, according to my information, he was the only of the apostles, of the uh, 12 apostles, he was the only apostle to not suffer a martyr's death. Paul was martyred. Peter was martyred. Matthew was martyred. Uh, Nathaniel. Uh, Thomas. Uh, according to my information, they were all martyred in one way or another under one Roman emperor or another. But John, according to my information, was not martyred. 
All right, so we get to 1 John. We did chapter 1. Chapter 1 talked about, if you look, I said Friday evening, if you look at John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, and look at 1 John chapter 1, they're written by the same author and they almost parallel. The introduction talks about uh, the eternality of Jesus, that which was from the beginning, <clears throat> which we have heard, which we have looked upon our eyes and our with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. So John is establishing the fact that God became flesh in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, because there were false teachings then, just as there are now, which denied that God could become flesh, that God would become flesh, because there were teachings that said all matter is evil. And if all matter is evil, then how did God, be, who is good, become flesh which is supposedly evil so john is refuting that he's saying we we saw this man we heard this man we lived with this man for about three years we touched this man both before and after his resurrection we held him we held his his nail scarred feet and hands thomas put his hand in the jesus side we ate with this man we had dinner with this man after his resurrection so John is refuting all of these false teachings that deny the literal reality of the of the Lord Jesus Christ, both pre and post resurrection. So then he talks about uh, having fellowship. What are the qualifications to have fellowship and how you cannot have fellowship with the Lord if you're walking in darkness, etc. John then closes out chapter one. He says, you cannot say you, you, that, you, that, that there is no sin in you. You do have sin. You you all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So for those who teach that there is no sin, no original sin, no ongoing struggle with sin, John says they're wrong. John says he's going to open up the second chapter and, and it's, it, it's like a dovetail. Remember, the Bible was not originally written in chapter and verse, chapters and verses. And so if you look at the, the end of the first chapter of 1 John and then look at the beginning of the second chapter, it's like one continuous stream so he ends chapter one he says if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the, and, and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins that's a strange word today the word repentance john says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins he he, he mentioned in the eighth verse about the blood of jesus christ cleanses us from all sins if we confess our sins, he says it in verse 7, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. Why did Jesus come and die on the cross? He died on the cross for sin. He didn't come to die on the cross so we could be good Democrats, good Republicans, good independents, good socialists, good capitalists. He died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross for our sin. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, the Apostle Paul said. Of whom I am chief, the Apostle Paul said. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, and there are people who say that, believe it or not, if we say we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar because God said all have sinned and come short of my glory. The Bible says what by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all for all have sinned. So if we say we have not sinned, 
We're calling God a liar. And God, the Bible says God cannot lie. We can lie. We have lied. God cannot lie. He cannot. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. I am the life. Jesus does not just contain truth. He is the truth. He's the truth of the gospel. He's the truth of God because he is God. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. We call him a liar. And his word is not in us. Anybody who has the word of God in them knows that we have sinned. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross and suffered under Pontius Pilate. The, the, the humiliating death of, of Calvary's cruel cross and shed his, his sinless, sanctified, holy blood for our sins. That, that's the issue, ladies and gentlemen. I know that issue has been obscured in much of today's and, and years gone by, much of the preaching, so-called preaching and teaching that, it, that has forgotten the cross and, and, and the, 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 the sin question. Jesus died on the cross because of sin, because God has to judge sin. God is righteous. And because God is righteous, he must judge sin. So God had a choice, destroy us or redeem us. He chose to redeem us by the blood of his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was foreordained from the foundation of the world. God didn't make Adam and Eve sin, but he knew they would sin. And he had already foreordained Jesus Christ from the foundation of the world. That's gospel. That's Bible. Not because I say it, but because it's Bible. So then, so then we move into chapter 2, and I posted the outline yesterday. Here's the outline for chapter 2. Verse 1, sin is a serious matter. I've, I've, I've already been discussing that. Sin is a very serious matter. If it were not, God would not have sent his dear son to die, to, 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 be, to be hung between heaven and earth as though he were fit for neither, to hang between two thieves, to be to be subject to the to be subjected to the ridicule of both the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus said, The time has come, I will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. If sin were not a serious matter, do you really think that God would have sent his dear son, his only begotten son, to die at Calvary's cruel cross, the cross invented by the by the Persians, by the Phoenicians, perfected by the Romans, the cross. Do you really think God would have sent his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to die on the cross, to die that humiliating death where he, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you really think that, that, the, that, that, that the father would have sent the son to die on the cross if sin were a light matter? As we seem to think it's a, a light matter today, even to the point that we don't, we no longer even preach it. Uh, or about it in many churches. Now, he says, my little children, these things I write to you, he's, John says, so that you may not sin. John says, I'm writing to you to warn you, to encourage you concerning the sin question. He says, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He says, don't sin, but if you do, all is not lost. We have an advocate he says, my little children, he's speaking as a, a superintending apostle over his flock. He says, don't sin. The Bible never makes an excuse like, oh, go ahead and sin. Don't worry about it. The Bible never makes an excuse for sin, but it, also, it always provides a remedy for sin. It always provides a remedy for transgression. And that remedy is the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. We have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus is our lawyer. He's our advocate. He's our go-between. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's our intercessor. He is our parakletos. He is our comforter. I know he said he would send the Holy Spirit to comfort us, and that is true. But if you look up the word advocate in the Greek, it, it, it uses the Greek word parakletos. He is, Jesus is our intercessor. He is our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus basically serves three offices, prophet, priest, king. He served the role of prophet already when he went into his own his, and, and his own did not receive him. The prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. The priest goes to God on behalf of the people. Right now, Jesus is serving role of our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then one day when he establishes the, the millennial kingdom, when he establishes and sits on David's throne, he will be king. He's king now in our hearts, but he would literally be king sitting on David's exalted throne one day in the, in the fullness of God's time. So Jesus serves three roles, basically. I know he's the apostle and high priest of our profession, and I, I know he's the evangelist and, and good shepherd. And I know that. But basically he serves three roles, prophet, priest, king. Again, when he walked the earth, he was the perfect prophet. The Bible says he's the, he called himself the faithful and true witness. The prophet goes to the people on God's behalf. Jesus did that. And they rejected him and he went to the cross. Um, he, he said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down and I take it again. I've received this commandment from my father. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He rose uh, or um, uh, arose from the dead the third day. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs to about 500 brethren. He ascended back to heaven from the Mount of Olives, where he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's our great high priest, not according to the order of Aaron, but according to the order of Melchizedek. So if anyone does sin, you have an advocate, with the, you have a lawyer. You have an advocate, you have a lawyer. You have an advocate with the Father, you have a, a, an intercessor. He's our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. All right, so uh, verse 2 says, uh, let's see here, where am I? Let's do it, do it, do it. Okay, I read that one. Verse 3, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments, John said you're lying. See, the Bible is a book of absolutes. Not everything in the Bible is absolute. Many cultural things, etc., are not absolute for us today. But the Bible, the doctrines of the Bible are, are full of absolutes. You know, we live in a day of moral relativism. Well, well, whatever you want to do is fine. You walk in your truth, etc. The Bible is a book of absolutes. And John says, if you say you know the Lord and you don't walk in his ways, John says you're lying. And if you're a liar, you know, you're, you know who you're in league with. Jesus said that, that Satan is the father of every lie. He was a liar from the beginning. So if you walk, if your, li if your lifestyle is a lifestyle, of, of, of disobedience to God, John says you're a liar if you say you know him. No matter what religious, outward religious trappings you may have, no matter what ecclesiastical office you may have, if you say you know the Lord, but there's no evidence of it in your lifestyle, John says, not, not, not Sherman Crockett Jr., John said, the Apostle John, one of the original apostles who wrote and spoke and acted with apostolic authority, he said, you're lying. He said, you're lying. All right. So Jesus himself is the propitiation for our sins. He's the atonement. He's the he's the the, the Jews still observe the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. But 
those of us who know Jesus know that Yom Kippur was, was when Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. Jesus is the atonement for our sins. Jesus is the atonement for our sins. Look at verse three again. Now this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He, and then, then it says in verse 6, he who says he abides in him, you have to prove it. I heard a preacher preach a sermon years ago, believe and behave. <laughs> believe and behave. Believe and behave. Your, your, your outward profession has to be matched by your walk. John says, by this we know we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So Jesus is the propitiation, the atonement. Jesus is the satisfaction. His death at Calvary's cruel cross satisfied God as far as the sin question is concerned. In the days of the Roman Empire, when a debt, when a debt was paid, the Roman official would stamp tetelestai on the document, debt paid. When Jesus died on the cross, God said, Tetelestai, the debt is paid. The blood of goats and bulls and heifers and other animals, doves, could not, the blood of an animal cannot wash away the sin of a man. And the blood of a sinful man cannot wash away the sins of a man. It took the blood of a perfectly sanctified, holy, harmless, undefiled uh, individual born of a virgin to wash away the sins of sinful mankind. And of course, you know that man is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But notice what John says. He says, now, if you're going to say you're, if you're going to say you're with us, if you're going to say you're in the kingdom of God, you have to meet certain qualifications. So just as worldly systems have membership qualifications, you can't join LA Fitness or Planet Fitness or, or one of these sororities or fraternities. You can't join these sororities and fraternities on, uh, according to your own rules. You have to go by their rules. So since worldly systems and, and organizations and fraternities and sororities, you can't join them without meeting their qualifications. You can't come into the kingdom of God without meeting God's qualifications. And his qualifications are one, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then once you join, you have to, you have to show evidence that you really believe in the Lord by turning away from sin and growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have to do that. You cannot join, again, you cannot join one of these fraternities or sororities uh, or one of these other organizations. You cannot join these organizations without meeting the qualification. You can't just walk into a health club and start, and start lifting weights. You've got to pay your dues to join the health club, whether the dues are expensive or whether the dues are not expensive. You have to go by their rules. Every, every, every organization on earth has rules, and we honor them. Yet people want to come into the church of God and uh, do their own and continue to do their own thing. You can't do that. You can't do like Naaman in the Old Testament. He wanted to be cleansed from his leprosy on his own terms. And, uh, and, uh, and the prophet Elisha said, no, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to come meet you. But I want you to go and baptize. Send the word to him to go be baptized in the river Jordan, dipped seven times. And Naaman became furious. He, 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 wanted, he wanted to meet the prophet. He thought because he was a high official that he had a right to meet the prophet face to face, etc. And he was furious. But he had people around him who brought him into accountability. And that's good. As a leader, you've got to have people around you who bring you into accountability. And they said, look, 
Go ahead and do what this prophet tells you to do. And Naaman dipped seven times in the river Jordan, and his skin went from leprosy to that being smooth as that of a, of a, of a little baby. Because he met the qualifications of the prophet. Now, if that was important to meet the qualification of Elisha, who's a prophet, uh, who pointed to the, uh, the prophet of prophets, Jesus Christ, then we have to meet the qualification. God has qualifications also. You just can't come willy-nilly into God's kingdom. Don't let me get started on the parable of the of the wedding where, where, the, great, where the great king gave a, a wedding a banquet and somebody showed up with the wrong wedding, wedding garment on. And the king said, what are you doing here? He didn't have on the right wedding garment. And, he told, and the king told his servants, cast this individual in the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You just can't come into God's kingdom uh, on your own terms or on any religious organization's terms that are out of line with God's word. You have to come according. You have to come by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then once you come by the blood of Jesus Christ and you're saved by total grace through faith, then you have to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, there will be no evidence. There will be no evidence. There will be no. There's got to be outward evidence of inward sanctification. There's got to be outward evidence of inward sanctification. There's justification. But then there's also got to be sanctification. We're justified by faith in Jesus. But, that, but the evidence of that justification has to be an ongoing inner work of sanctification where we bend, where we allow our will to be bent to the will of God. I, I the analogy again of the trees that I saw on the way to Louisiana back in 2006, barely a year after Hurricane Katrina. And if you know hurricanes, they, they rotate counterclockwise. They rotate counterclockwise. And so uh, the tree, the hurricane bent these trees in the direction of the rotation of the hurricane. But the Holy Spirit, if you're going to be with God in his kingdom, the Holy Spirit has to be your hurricane. Our will, our will, our stubborn, sinful, prideful will has to be bent in the direction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the wind blows where it will. You, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a mystery. But the mystery of the Holy Spirit is that, here's part of the mystery, that the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. And then once we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit's job is to help to bend us to the will of the Father. Not my will, but yours be done, O God. So to, to, so to come into God's kingdom is free. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. And then, and then being a part of that kingdom, being a part of the New Testament church, there has to be an inner working of sanctification. There's got to be evidence. If there's no evidence, then, 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 then there's, no, there's, no, there's no true salvation. There's got to be evidence of salvation. Got to be evidence. If you got saved in 1975, you, can't be the, you, you cannot be at the same level of growth in 2020. That, that existed when you got saved in 1975 or 1995 or 2005 or 2010. There's got to be growth. The Bible says grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There has to be an, an inner evidence of an outward confession of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the Bible is a book of absolutes, only fearless, dedicated messengers. We'll have, to we'll have the courage to preach and teach these absolutes. Many are afraid. Many are afraid. Many in pulpits are afraid. They won't, they won't preach the truth of the gospel. They're afraid. A recent survey said that over 50% of pastors won't preach on controversial subjects, such as abortion 
and gay rights and gay marriage and those those hot button subjects, if you will. Over 50% of pastors said they don't preach on those subjects because they don't want to offend the people in their congregation. Imagine if Jesus said, or if his holy apostles and prophets had that same attitude. Imagine where we would be if Paul said, I don't want to offend uh, the people at the Areopagus at Mars Hill. Imagine if Peter said, I don't want to offend those Jews in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Imagine if Peter said, I don't want to offend those Gentiles from Cornelius' house. Imagine if Paul said, I don't want to offend that, that Philippian jailer. I don't want to offend those people who were pimping that slave girl with the psychic uh, spirit, that spirit of Python. Glory to the Lamb of God. Imagine if the Holy, imagine if Jeremiah said, I don't want to offend anybody here. Imagine if Isaiah said, I don't want to, I don't want to offend the, 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 the nobles of Judah. I don't want to tell them come let the, that the Lord said, come let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Imagine if Isaiah had said, I don't want to offend anybody. So I better not say that, 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 that the ox knows his owner and the ass his master's crib. But, 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 but thus says the Lord, my children do not consider. My children, are, are, they are rebellious children. I've raised up children. They have rebelled against me. Imagine if the Old Testament, imagine if Ezekiel, had said, I can't preach this about the valley of dry bones. I might offend somebody. Glory to the Lamb of God. Imagine if Moses, hallelujah, I feel like preaching a little bit. Imagine if Moses and Aaron had said, we can't go to Pharaoh. We might offend him. We can't go to him and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go. We can't. We might offend him. Glory to the Lamb of God. Over 50% of pastors in the, in the, in the Barna group survey said that they don't preach on certain subjects because they don't want to offend. We, we, we've even got people preaching today who've taken Jesus' name out of their preaching. They don't even, you can hear whole sermons. Don't take my word for it. You can hear whole sermons on TV by high-profile preachers. Whole sermons where Jesus' name is not even mentioned except at the end, maybe his name is thrown in. Glory to the Lamb of God. I, I, I seem to believe, I seem to have thought that, that Jesus is the central, is to be the central thought, the central theme of all Bible preaching and teaching. The Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Whether Jesus is the subject or the object or both of the prophecy. Prophecy here meaning both preaching as in foretelling and prediction as in foretelling. I seem, to, I seem to remember that Jesus is the central figure, not just of the New Testament, but of the Old Testament. Though in the Old Testament, he's more hidden in types and shadows and things like that. But, but Jesus, how do you preach a sermon and Jesus is not in the sermon or barely in the sermon? Like you've gone to the supermarket and, you've, and you forgot something when you got to the checkout aisle. And you ran to get that thing you forgot and then threw it into the, you, 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 you forgot the hand sanitizer. Glory to the Lamb of God. And you ran to get the hand sanitizer and you threw it into the into the shopping uh, buggy, shopping cart. Well, that's the way Jesus now is, is presented in many sermons today. He's just thrown in at the end, thrown in as a last. Oh, I forgot to mention the name of Jesus before we go home. Glory to the Lamb of God. No, no, no. It takes fearless, courageous preachers, prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers to make Jesus and his teachings and the teachings of his holy apostles and prophets 
the central theme, the central, the predominant theme of God's word, the predominant theme. Let me read verse five to you. But whosoever keeps God's word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. The word perfected in the Bible normally means to get to a place of, of completion, of maturity. The word perfection normally when used in the Bible and is used in this sense, it means to get to a point of completion, of maturity. Let me read verse 5 to you again. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him. Think of John 15, where Jesus said, I am the true vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. For without me you can do nothing. And any branch that does not abide in me, it withers on the vine and, and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So think of John 15 as I read this verse to you. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. The love of God can only be perfected where God's truth abides. The love of God. God doesn't contain love. He is love. The love of God can only be perfected where God's truth abides. Where God's truth abides in our hearts, in our lives, in our uh, New Testament church orbit. Where God's word abides, where God's truth abides, God's love can be perfected. The love of God, the love of God can be perfected or made a reality, made a, 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 can mature to be a reality. And John says, th this is the mark. John, John is very, very absolute in his writing here. But, he, but he's not absolute in the sense of uh, condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. You can tell he's being led by the Holy Spirit because everything is balanced. He presents sin as a problem, but he, all, he's all, he also presents Jesus as the solution to that sin. So John is not just condemnation, 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 condemnation. Any good preaching and teaching will always present sin as the problem, but it, but it will also present Jesus as the solution to that problem. For if you present the problem, sin, and don't present the solution to the problem, the Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then you have not fulfilled the apostolic model of preaching and teaching. John says, yes, you're, you're, if you say you don't know the Lord, John says you're lying. But then, he also, but then he, always comes, he always comes behind that and says, but here's the solution. Fellowship with us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The love of God, he says, the love of God. Herein is the love of God perfected. The love of God. It was the love of God that drew us in the first place. The Lord himself said, I drew you through love and kindness. And the, and the Lord expects us to demonstrate that same love and kindness to people. But that doesn't mean that we compromise the gospel. That doesn't mean that we, that we lay down our sword, our sword of the spirit. A lot of people today, and I'm sure it's been going on for a long time. A lot of people today, they equate love with uh uh, tolerance of sin. Oh, God loves everybody. 
So therefore, you know, we should tolerate, we shouldn't say anything about what the Bible calls sin. That's not love. Do you, do, do you allow your children to do anything they want to do? You love your children. I have no doubt about it. I don't even know you. You love your children. Do you allow them to do whatever they want to do? Do you allow your eight-year-old child to handle firearms and they have no firearms training? Do you allow your eight-year-old child to smoke weed? Do you allow your 10-year-old child to drive your car at 70 miles an hour on the interstate? Now, you love your child. Do you allow your 10-year-old child to drive on the interstate? You see, but people are confusing um, love. Oh, God loves gay people. Well, of course he does. He loves the world. But here's the thought of many in the world and even in the church. Because God loves the LGBTQ community, we shouldn't say anything about that sin. That's not, that's not the Bible. That's not love. Again, you love your children. Aren't you going to tell your children, make sure they put their seatbelt on if they're just starting to drive at 16 or 17 or 18? Aren't you going to take them out and show them how to drive and how to change lanes and, and how to drive on the superhighways as well as in the city? Aren't you, going to, aren't you going to lead and guide them and show them areas of warning and stay away from this and be careful who you date and uh, you know, do well in school, etc. And, and be careful about what substances you introduce into your body and about premarital and extramarital sex and aren't you going to aren't you going to aren't you going to warn your 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 children of the dangers of life the dangers that you had to face and in some cases you 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 fell into aren't you going to warn your ch well then if we do that and we're, if we as earthly parents do that then what 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 makes us think that God only has a right to love but not to warn so there are people oh God oh God is love God loves the LGBT, and this is not picking on the LGBTQ community, it's just making an example. Oh, God loves the LGBTQ community. We shouldn't say anything about homosexuality. But if the Bible didn't say anything about it, I wouldn't say anything about it. Because who am I to introduce subjects that the Bible doesn't introduce? But the Bible has plenty to say about both heterosexual and homosexual sin. And as a preacher of the gospel, if you're listening to me as a preacher, as a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a bishop, apostle, evangelist, uh, um, vacation Bible school teacher, Sunday school teacher, Wednesday night, YPWW, whatever your denomination is or whatever practices that y'all engage in to teach and preach, you have got to be faithful to the word of God. If you can't be faithful to the word of God, then just give, give it to somebody else. And, and have a seat <laughs> because you cannot teach God's word and try to be, you know, buddy, buddy with everybody. It, 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 the, the two are incompatible. That's why 11 of the 12, uh, um, 11 of the 12 original apostles. And then when you put Paul in there, that's why 11 of the 12 original apostles, apostles and then uh, the apostle Paul died a martyr's death. They died a martyr's death because they spoke the truth of the gospel. They, they, they spoke truth to power. Paul was martyred under Nero. Peter was martyred in around 67, 68 under Nero. James, the brother of John, he was the first apostle. He died. Read about this in Acts chapter 12. They died because they spoke truth to power. They died because they didn't try to buddy-buddy up with the, with the worldly system, the worldly power. They were true. They were true to the gospel of their Lord and Savior and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brethren, verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, 
but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment in, is the word. Which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you. Now, what, now, now listen to this next part here. Because the darkness is passing away. The old King James would say the darkness uh, passeth away, I believe it says. But much of the Bible was written in what's called the present progressive or past progressive. Like we speak in English is or our plus ing. I am drinking or I was drinking a glass of milk. That's like the present or past progressive. And so, so this new King James kind of stays true to that. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So it shows continuous action going on from the past. All right. Okay. Our walk must match our verbal profession. The Bible tells us to abide. It says in verse six, it says, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walks. Abide here means to continue, to dwell, to endure, to remain, to stand, to tarry. To tarry means to remain in a position and not be moved out of that position unless you receive a commandment from a higher authority to move out of that position. It's the same word that was used when Jesus told his disciples, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Wait, Stay in Jerusalem in the upper room. Don't you leave. Stay in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Tarry. It just means to stay in that position. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there. Stay in that position. And then, of course, the disciples stayed in that position. And 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. They were rewarded for their obedience. So that word to endure, to stay, to continue, to dwell, to remain, to stand, to tarry. So tarry, here we are to tarry in the word of God, to endure, to stay there. If we, if we get out of it a little bit, if we stray, then, then that's where we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Paul says, Peter says, sorry, John says in verse seven, he says, brethren, brethren, beloved, beloved, brethren, he's speaking to believers, brethren, He's not speaking to unbelievers here. Brethren, our brethren, uh, uh, the, the Adelphi, uh, where we get the word brothers, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, philos, love, Delphi, brother, brotherly love. He says brethren, he says beloved. He, he uses the word agape, the, the beloved of God, brethren, the Adelphi. He says beloved brethren, those in the body of Christ, those who believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says in verse seven, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. He says, y'all not, he says, some of y'all, y'all not new to this. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is, is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. Remember the darkness you were in, the darkness that I was in before we got saved? He says, the darkness is passing away. The people who sat in darkness, Isaiah said, have seen a great light. You know what that great light is, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing away. The darkness is passing away and the true light, not any light, not that light that you see in back of me, the true light. Hallelujah. 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the light. He who says he is in the light. Now, notice again, John is going to come here with an absolute. John comes with absolutes because he's a fearless apostle. He's not a namby-pamby, panty-waist, bootleg, jack-leg preacher who's scared. If you're scared to preach the gospel, go, go work somewhere else. You can't be scared to preach this gospel and call yourself a preacher, a prophet, apostle of God, a pastor. You can't. If, if you're scared to tell the people to speak the truth in love, put the Bible down. And, and let, there are plenty of people out there who, 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 will take up, who will take up that mantle, men and women, women and men. If you're scared, let somebody else do it. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. Even until now, he who loves his, his he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother, he, he's, he's showing the absolute. You can't say you hate your brother and, and that you're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one thing the apostles were not allowed to be. Jesus, he, he you, they, they could not be vindictive. You can't hate people. And, and, and say you walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't lynch me on, on Saturday night and then go to church and be a deacon on Sunday morning. You're a liar. The Bible says you're a liar. You can't hate somebody on Saturday night and go to church on Sunday morning singing, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. You cannot hate somebody on Saturday night and go to church on Sunday. Come on, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. You cannot do it. John says you're lying. You're a hypocrite. You love. Love. It may be tough love, but love must be the hallmark. It must be the quintessential hallmark of our relationship, both with God and with each other. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother. How are you going to go around burning a cross when Jesus died on the cross for our sins? How are you going to lynch somebody? whether literally or figuratively. How are you going to support white supremacy? Oh, or black supremacy. Oh, yeah. How are you going to support white supremacy or black supremacy? Dr. King said a doctrine of black supremacy is just as dangerous as a doctrine of white supremacy. How are you going to support black supremacy or white supremacy? And say that you're walking with the Lord. John, John, the apostle John, not, not I, the apostle John. One of the pillars of the New Testament church. He said, you're lying. He said, you're a hypocrite. And the truth ain't in you. You cannot hate and say you love God. You can't. You can't do it. You, you cannot support a doctrine of hating people. And say that you're walking with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light. There's that word abides again. If you remember, we talked about John 15. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Jesus is the true light of the world. But since Jesus has ascended back to the Father, the church has to be the light because we are the body of Christ of which he's the head. So now that Jesus, when he was in the world, he said, I'm the light of the world. He said it in John 8, 12, after he had forgiven the woman who was taken in adultery. He said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life.
But now that Jesus has been crucified, bodily raised from the dead, and ascended back to the right hand of the majesty on high, guess who's the light of the world now? Church. It's supposed to be. We're supposed to be the light of the world. But if there's darkness in the church, then something's wrong because we're supposed to be the body of Christ of which he is the head. That means we're supposed to be taking orders, orders from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit, from his holy apostles and prophets. But if we're walking in darkness and we're in the church, there's something wrong. The light of Christ's gospel and the darkness of this world are totally incompatible. The light of Christ's gospel, of course, gospel means the good news. And the darkness of this world and the world, the Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The light of Christ's gospel and the darkness of this world are totally incompatible. They're incompatible. They're incompatible. Darkness hates the light and fights against it. You walk into the room. I don't know if you've ever lived in a house that had roaches. You walk into the room, you turn the light on, and, and if, if there were a bunch of roaches in that house, they scatter. There's something, and I, I keep meaning to look it up, and I keep forgetting. There's something about roaches. There's something about their physical makeup that causes them to scatter when you turn the light. There are some insects, they don't scatter. They just, what's up? <laughs> but roaches scatter. I don't know why. I'm, I'm going to look it up. I promise you. There's, and you can look it up on your own. There's some For some reason, when you turn the light on and the room is full of roaches, for some reason, it just drives them crazy. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to look it up. Something in the filament in the light that affects their nervous system or some reason. I don't know, but I'll look it up. Because that they, they, they love darkness. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So when you, you, maybe that maybe one of the, I know the, I know the first home we lived in after we got married, there were a lot of roaches and we come home and turn the kitchen light on and boom, their roaches were scattered all over the place, but they didn't go away. They just scattered and hid out until you turn the lights off again. Light and darkness cannot dwell together. The light of Christ's gospel and the darkness of this world are totally incompatible. Let me close here. Verse 10. Let me read it one more time. Uh, let's see, verse 10, he, uh, let's see, he who loves his brother abides in the light. There's that love as the, as the quintessential, what did our Lord Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Not if you speak in tongues, not if you prophesy, not if you, not if you um, 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 cast out devils, not if you raise the dead, not if you go to church uh, regularly, not if you pay tithes, all these are good things. Jesus said, by this shall men know that you um, are my disciples if you love one another. Verse 10, one more time, then I'm going to close. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother, this is verse 11, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do you hate anybody? I didn't say do you disagree with anybody. Do you, do you hate anybody? If you hate somebody, I'm going to ask you to, to examine yourself. And I'll, I'll examine myself. I promise you I will. Do you hate anybody? Do you hate anybody in the church? Do you hate anybody in the body of Christ? Do you hate your reverend? Do you hate the pastor? <laughs> do you hate the choir? Do you hate somebody in the choir? Maybe you, you didn't get to sing that song that you wanted to sing. Do you hate the deacon board? Do you hate somebody in a congregation? Do you hate another woman? 
Do you hate another man? Do you hate anybody? The Bible says that's not the way of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible tells us to hate sin, but it doesn't tell us to hate people. Let me close here. Love is the quintessential element or proof of our relationship with God in Christ. Prophecy is good. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, prophecy is good. Tongues are great. Prophecy is great. Raising the dead, those uh, um, of the other the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, though all those things are good. But love is the quintessential element or proof of our relationship with God in Christ. Where there is no love, God has been asked to leave the premises. Where there is no love, God has been asked to leave the premises. Where there is no love, God has been asked to leave the premises. God bless you, my beloved. I'm going to pick up on Friday, Lord willing. We'll pick it up at verse 12. First John chapter two, there are 20, blah, 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 blah. there are 29 verses. So I'll probably do, I'll probably split Friday and Sunday with those uh, 12 and plus what is 29 plus uh, 17. So I'll probably split next Friday and Sunday, those 17, 18 verses right there. I'll probably split those split those verses so i'll finish lord willing i'll finish first john chapter two by a week from today god bless you my beloved have you ever read the first epistle of john oh you gotta read it and here's a good idea read the first epistle of john and read saint john at the same time the first epistle of john has five chapters saint john has 21 chapters so here's a thought read first john chapter one and then read the first five chapters of John. Then read 1 John chapter 2. Then read the next five chapters. In other words, there's, there's like a five to one ratio. Because they're both written by the same man. And you'll see some of the same ideas dovetail into each other. 1 John. We'll, we'll pick up with 1 John chapter 2, Lord willing, on Friday the 13th of March. And then we'll finish 1 John chapter 2 on Sunday the 15th of March, and then Lord willing, we'll go into 1 John chapter 3 that following Friday, which would be the 20th of March. God bless you, my beloved. God bless you. God bless you. Be strong. Uh, you know, they talk about not putting your hands near your nose. and all. It's hard, especially when you have a beard and a mustache because the hair gets all up in your nose. and You, and, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of hard not to put your hand near your mouth and your face and your nose and your... I went to get some... Um, Hand sanitizer the other day at Walmart. We're all out. <laughs> I got to find some hand sanitizer somewhere so I can take it to my job. Because um, it, it, I work around a lot of people. Around a lot of people. So I'm going to see if I can find some hand sanitizer where the price ain't jacked up. You know, 400%. But anyway, God bless you, my beloved. Have a good week. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. For allowing us to mention your name, the name of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion. Bless your people, Lord. Help us to walk in love. Help us to forgive any who have offended us. Help us to love one another, Lord, as you gave us commandment. Help us to remember that love is the quintessential proof that we belong to you, Lord. If we don't love, Lord, we can't say we belong to you. Help us, Lord, to be strong 
in faith, Lord. Help us to draw closer to you that you may draw closer to us. Help us to have a love for your word that we may know your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Lord, I pray that you'll bless your people in every way possible. Bless those who are saved. Strengthen them that they may grow in grace in the knowledge of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if any who are not saved hear this broadcast, I pray, Lord, that you will touch their heart. Save them as you saved me and so many, so, uh, as you saved me and so many more. Save them by your grace, by your mercy, by your power, by your love, by the moving of your Holy Spirit upon their heart, like, like you moved upon the earth when it was in darkness and chaos. Move in their lives, Lord. Let that light, Lord, shine up upon them. Call them out of darkness, we ask you, Lord, into your marvelous light. By your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. We pray for courage of your preachers, your pastors. Pray that they'll have courage, Lord, to speak the truth of the gospel, to speak the truth in love, but yet speak the truth, Lord. We pray that like the Apostle Paul, they would speak the whole counsel of God and that they would not be afraid, Lord, to speak your word. For your word is like a hammer that break the rock in pieces like a fire, Lord that is shut up in our bones, Lord. Your word, Lord God, is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, Father, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Only your word, God, can sanctify us. Only your word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us the privilege of mentioning your name, in the name of your dear son, Jesus, our Lord, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and kingdom. Hallelujah, both now and forever. Amen and amen. God bless you, my beloved. Yeah, we started an hour later because of daylight savings time. And we just, uh, when I woke up, the, uh, the clock on the wall said 7.30, but the digital clock said 8.30. And uh, so I said, let's move it up an hour. God bless you, my beloved. You take care of yourself. And remember, if you have any questions, contact us at J-C-O-L-M 57, the number 57, at gmail.com j-c-o-l-m the number five the number seven at gmail.com if you need me to come and speak to your group or your church as long as it's okay with your pastor you contact us by that same email or at 706-248-7053 706-248-7053 make sure you clear it with your leader first your pastor give honor to your your spiritual um, 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 bishop, your spiritual head first before you ask, before you try to invite somebody to come preach or teach at your church. Clear it with the angel of the Lord who's in that house. God bless you, my beloved. We love you. Pray for me. Bathe me in prayer. Bathe me in prayer. I've never asked you for any money, but I do ask that you bathe me in prayer. I need your prayers. Please, that I would speak the word of God with boldness and that God would uh, continue to open doors so that I may speak the word of God uh, in clarity without fear or favor by Jesus Christ. Thank you. God bless you. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.